Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Valeria Fumagalli, postdoctoral fellow at the Vita Salute San Rafael University, and Dr. Nancy Kwasi, postdoctoral fellow in the Viral Zoonoses One Health Department at the Leibniz Institute of Virology, who recently joined us for a webinar where they discuss the Syrian golden hamster model of COVID-19 and present a new inhalation exposure-based mouse model using aerosolized SARS-CoV-2. Let's jump right in. kick things off with an interesting question here for Nancy. So why did you choose to perform the experiment in these Syrian golden hamsters and not in mice? Can you provide maybe some pros and cons for this animal model? Oh, yeah, yeah of course. For example, Valeria showed the humanized uh, mass model. They have pros and cons for uh, this model, but we use the SARS-CoV-2, uh, the hamster model for Several reasons. The first reason is the S2 receptor, because maybe most of you know the SARS-CoV-2 virus need the S2 receptor in order to uh, get into the cells. And hamster have the S2 uh, already on the cells, which mice didn't have. That's the first, the first important thing here. But also hamster have the ability to reflect the, the human data. For example, this is the age bias or the sex difference that we see in human cohort, we can also apply it on hamster, for example, that uh, may are more uh, severely affect for SARS-CoV-2 or a other older hamster as also uh, affect for SARS-CoV-2, for example. Also, in hamster, we have able to study this, uh, the longitudinal approach, long long COVID, like uh, I would say, because we have the moderate uh, COVID-19 disease. We can the hamster can they get ill, but after two weeks, they recover completely and we can then also measure lung function, for example, or, the, or maybe other brain-related dysregulation, for example. We can also sell it in, in the same animals. And also, of course, the whole the hamster can uh, have the virus in the whole body. And this is really important to study, for example, drugs. And it's really similar, for example, to human. This is just two, three things that uh, make hamster the golden stand, standard for SARS-CoV-2 uh, uh, study. Yeah, thanks. Great answer there. All right, Valeria, this one will be for you. So thanks for the great presentation. This person says, can you share your experience with animal handling in the system restrainer? And how is the acclimation process? Yes. In the, um, basically, in the tower, we uh, have a collar that is positioned between the base of the mouse skull and the shoulder in order to avoid thorax compression and maintain normal breathing since uh, different nasal infection, these mice are not anesthetized. Their behavior inside the restrainer depends on uh, if the mouse is big or not, but uh, we have different dim dimension of the collar. 
but uh, we have noticed that uh, if the mouse is bigger is better because uh, uh, so for instance the, the best, best size is a mouse around uh, 12 weeks of age in order to maintain the pressure and uh, everything's fine inside the tower and uh, about the acclimation process uh, um, the mice are very quiet they they stay well i think uh, because uh, they think like uh, 10 minutes and then they do not move anymore uh, and the the tower we put the tower inside the hood because we are using the, um, the SARS-CoV-2 and what I did is to switch off the light in order to to acclimate better the, the mice. Fantastic. I hope yeah, to have answered your question. Yeah great answer. This is actually a nice follow-up question to that so Nancy you used indirect measurement and uh, used unrestrained animals so yeah on unrestrained animals can you uh, name you know some advantages of doing this as opposed to something more like what Valeria described? Oh uh, yeah yeah they are pros and cons of course the first problem with a restrained hamster they they don't want it they don't like it and they are really stressed they're really really stressed they're not some so they are bigger than mice but they're, they're also really really stressed and we tried to restrain a hamster it didn't go so very well <laughs> then we say we think okay maybe we have to think about other methods i mean it's possible to measure lung function directly the endpoint uh, measurement use tracheotomy also you then you have to kill the, the hamster or the mice and then measure the lung function directly but the problem with this method of course we cannot measure the same animals from before the infection until 21 days, for example, after infection, like we did in our study, for example. But we, yeah, we can consider to use other systems in order maybe to have a time point, for example, six day post infection, just to measure one, the one time point. But of course, we cannot measure because of what will be a lot of animals that we have to kill to have the same data. There are yeah. pros, of course, but also a contra. Yeah, yeah certainly. All right, here's an interesting question for Valeria. Did you get a chance to look at the survival rate of the HYACE2 mice? Does the infection actually resolve completely? Okay, yes. I arrived up to six day post-infection, not more yet, because it's a recently generated model, but uh, mice survive whole, as also Katie and my two mice aerosolized. I have to say, but the thing is that the hybrid ACE2 have the expression of ACE2 that is 10, 10, 10 times less in the lung compared to KT in human ACE2 mice. Indeed, the uh, infection and the viral titer and also the um, PFU that we measure in the lung, uh, three day post infection of these mice are fewer than the KT in human ACE2 mice. So I think that, uh, yes, the, the, the infection resolved completely also because uh, seven day post infection, six day post infection, I already see antibody in the in the plasma and not viral titer in the lung. And, but I have to say that it is a mild infection, milder compared to the KAT in humans to mice. That I think that is resemble what happened to humans because the humans that are severe, experience a severe disease are the ones that have comorbidity. So the vast majority are asymptomatic. So I think that we are recapitulating that, that kind of patient. Yeah, great point. Okay, here's a, a good question for... Nancy Kwasi, so this attendee says, Dr. Kwasi, thanks for the great presentation. Are you considering repeating this study with a different animal model? <laughs> yeah, this is a great question. <laughs> we, we are thinking about it 
but, but, but to be uh, to be honest, now at this stage, hamsters are the golden standard to study SARS-CoV-2, to be honest. But of course, for example, to study transmissibility, for example, we can also use ferrets, for example. They are really, really good models in order to, to study or guinea pigs, for example. We can think about it. It's a nice question. But at this time point, uh, we didn't plan to do the same studying on, on different animals. But this is a good question. We, we also think about it. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Here's an interesting one for Valeria. Can you conclusively say that the transgenic ACE2 mice challenged with SARS-CoV-2 die from specifically the neurological infection and not something like pneumonia? I feel to answer yes, <laughs> uh, because uh, we observed that uh, even even if we reduce the amount of virus uh, uh, with internal infection, we observed that like 30% of the mice died and they have a, or were very sick, and the ones that are very sick have a huge uh, viral RNA in the brain. And also we try to play with the uh, viral titer with, upon high cell exposure, so we try to increase in that case, uh, but even if we increase Increase uh, the viral load uh, of aerosol exposed mice. Uh, we do not experience uh, uh, brain invasion, neither mortality. And moreover, we also perform uh, whole body platysmograph on both internasal infected mice or aerosol exposed mice. And we observe that upon internasal infection, five day post infection, we have that all parameters that we can uh, detect with the whole body platysmograph are affected, while upon uh, aerosol exposure, only the RPF that is uh, a marker of bronchoconstriction. So since mice are very lethargic, I, th I think that all the parameters that we are reading with whole body pertismograph in, in transit infected mice are mainly due to brain infection rather than a lung pathology. Yeah, really good point. Okay, this next question has to do with uh, the sex differences in COVID-2 infection. So Nancy, does letrozole work in uh, castrated hamsters, do you think? This is a very, really, really great question. We never checked, but I will just by feeling say not really, because I mean, you we need a substrate, we need testosterone in order to uh, convert to estradiol. And I mean, castrated hamsters are more likely like females, we'll say, although male castrated hamsters are like females. I think the literal treatment, we, I don't think so. I, I would say no. I would say no. But we don't we we don't check yet. But I will I will say by feeling say no because you don't have the testosterone at the beginning. Then we cannot see we cannot see the drop in the testosterone, for example, or the increase in estrogen because we don't have the substrate at the beginning. We don't have a testosterone at the beginning, and we cannot see this drop. And maybe we can all not not see. Uh, dysregulation in the CYP19A1 in the lung, for example, or in the testes. I will see now. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. This attendee is written, uh, dear Dr. Fumagalli, thanks for the great presentation. May I ask uh, what were, what was the, or how, how were you measuring the amount of virus that reached the lungs when administered via the inhalation tower and what kind of vehicle you used? Okay. Starting from the second, uh, we use as a vehicle, 
We do it depends on the initial concentration of the virus because we grow the virus in the MEM 0% on uh, Vero A6 or Vero human tempers 2 cells. And if I have to dilute the uh, virus, I dilute it in uh, PBS. But based on that, uh, I also nebulize a control mouse with the same vehicle to then standardize all the analysis that I will perform later. And about uh, how I measure the amount of virus that to reach the lung, okay, this, this means the uh, deposited virus, okay, I don't know, the only thing that I can, that can measure uh, is the viral RNA when I sacrifice the mouse, uh, and indeed I saw that the viral RNA is comparable between the two routes of infection, because also with intranasal installation, I could not know which is the amount of virus that reached the lung, uh, starting from the one that I infect, in, that I in a lay, in, instilled in the mouse. So it's, it's the same problem. And also what, what I can control is the amount of virus that uh, is inhalated by uh, the mouse, because I can calculate uh, how much virus I put inside the tower. But also in that case, we have to take in, in consideration that uh, not all the virus that I put inside the tower that is aerosolized reach uh, the, the lung of the mice, because uh, we have to consider also the exhalation of the mouse. So the only thing that I can say is to play with uh, the dimension of the viral particles, because uh, if we increase, uh, re reduce the humidity inside the tower, we can reduce the size of the viral particles, and so hope that these uh, aerosol, smaller aerosol, can go deep in the in the lung and not remain in the nasal turbine, for instance. But we could not, uh, I, I could not say you which is the amount of virus deposited in the lung. Yeah, makes sense. Claire, another question for you. We've got an, actually a few about the aerosolization process. So can you speak at all to whether the aerosolization process reduces the infectivity of the SARS-CoV-2 virus or if it destroys or damages the viral particle at all? Okay, this was one of my fear at the beginning because I was not sure that the virus uh, stay alive uh, upon uh, the aerosolization. But again, since giving the same uh, starting concentration between the two of infection and on the end, I see the same viral RNA in the lung, I can say that all the virus that nebulize uh, stay alive. So remain vital. All right, very good. Okay, Nancy, so... Considering the uh, the whole body, or no, no, con uh, considering the whole body plethysmography pulmonary system, which endpoint parameter do you think was the most important or telling? Do you think it was the the lung resistance or compliance measured? Uh, and if not, do you feel it's needed? Oh yeah, also a very great question. For us, for example, during the the. Um, the infection with with ASCOV2, for example, in male, we could also per eye see this increased breathing frequency, for example. It was really, really nice to see that what we see per eyes, we could also confirm with the whole measurement. And we measure a lot of uh, of hamster, male and female, and we could confirm every, each experiment, this measurement. I think for me, for the whole body, body plethysmography, I mean, the tidal volume, the frequency were really important, and also this um, EF15, the bi-tidal uh, flow, was also really important. On the other hand, will be in the future or really nice to have, for example, the resistance in the compliance measure directly in the hamster. It's not possible to do it with the indirect method, but uh, we'd be great maybe to have a smaller 
experiment just with a few animals and uh, perform endpoint uh, measurement, for example, for resistance and compliance, for example. For example, they, um, the prior the infection, day six, for example, and maybe day 14 after infection. Will be nice to have, but yeah, it's an animal application to, <laughs> to have also. But yeah, will be nice to have. I mean, in our hand now, to have the, the, the possibility to have this measurement because we have, we, we measure a lot of measurements. I think we measure 12 parameters, if I remember correctly. And we are just uh, show a few of them and all the data uh, correlates together. I mean, the data are really uh, consistent uh, through the, the experiment, but also through the animals. It's uh, really convincing that we are doing this well. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that's really great to hear. Last question here. So it's about the use of these models for long COVID. Obviously, long COVID, uh, as we get deeper and deeper into it, has been a you know the subject of a lot of study. And we'll start with Valeria. Do you think this animal model, the one that you've been using, do you think it would be a, an appropriate model to study long COVID? I think yes, because uh, mice stay alive for uh, that did not die. And also we checked 20-day post-infection where, uh, of course, uh, virus were uh, clearated from the lungs. So there, uh, there was no trace of the viral RNA in uh, neither nasal turbine, neither in the lung. But we were able to um, find specific CD8 and CD4 T cells uh, as well as uh, the lung were very damaged. So we have uh, thrombi, uh, yarn deposition that are patterns that are similar to what observed in COVID-19 patients uh, in the lung of the patient. So I think that it could be a useful model to study also the uh, long-term consequences of the disease also because a recent uh, result that I obtained is that I was able to spot inflammation in the spinal cord of these mice that were infected with aerosol uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2. And this is interesting because the spinal cord then is, is uh, colligated with the, with, with the central nervous system. So maybe this can explain also uh, some headache and the problems in the central nervous system without having an infection that is observed also in, uh, in patients. So I think, yes. Excellent. Yeah, great answer. And uh, Nancy, handing things over to you, maybe research already has been done, but can you speak to whether these golden hamsters would be a good model to study long COVID? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, of course. The answer is yes, because as I mentioned before, the hamster can mimic the, the human data. It's great to have the six bias, but also the age bias, but also the obese bias, if I can say so. Then you can, with the hamster model, we can study the long-term effect on different models, male, female, young, old. We can do a lot of things with uh, hamsters, really, really impressive. And we can study the, the immune system, the cytokines response. We can study lung function, longitudinally, so 40 days, 21, one month, two, three, one year. We can do pretty much anything because, I mean, the, the hamster, uh, we can have the hamster for three years, for example, in the lab. Then we can measure all these measurements prior to infection, 20 days after infection, but also one year or two years after infection or, or three years after infection. It's a great model, in my opinion. It's really, really great. And uh, we can do a lot of things. And I mean, the people out there uh, also realize the hamster is the golden standard and a lot of people are working uh, now on all these different high-risk groups in hamster. Yeah, uh, my answer is different, yes. <laughs>
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.